Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast, bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and Zach and Brad Nerfley. What's up, man? Not much. Thanks for having me on. So for those that don't know, Brad is the map guru, uh, not only just on TTS, but in the Legion community generally. You also arranged many of the maps at LVO last year. Is that accurate? Yes, that is. So I was specifically responsible for the top eight tables um, and the stream tables that you saw on the Fifth Trooper streams. Yeah. With the exception of the first one, I believe. Also wrote about it on the blog. Yes, I did. There's a wonderful article with some of the lessons I'm going to be talking about tonight. Spoilers. Um, but you should definitely go read that. And you're also a member of Team Relentless. Do you want to plug that real quick? Yeah. Uh, Team Relentless. We're a group of competitive miniature games players. Um, we're expanding out a little bit into some different stuff. But all we met through Legion, um, mostly through for the Yavin Vase Team League, and put together put together a group of like-minded people to go ahead and try to succeed as competitively in Legion and other games. So other members include Talk Polite, the uh, well-known TO of both Invader and um, of LVO, excuse me, um, Garnanana, Screwtape, and Boyha Ben of our popular YouTube series, The Playbook, um, and a couple other additions, including John Griffin, who was formerly of Legion Academy and is the unofficial world champion at the current moment. So lots of good minds. That um, one doesn't count. No, but it's still a performance. Luke Cook might have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're, don't worry. We're all looking forward to a real world. So oh, yeah. Just something online. So, yeah. Sometime in 2022. Hopefully. <laughs> um. Anyway, we are going to talk about maps today. We're going to talk about basically the process that you go through when you create a map. Uh, so we this is this is clearly a podcast. So it is it is an audio podcast, but we also have a YouTube channel. So if you are not watching this on the YouTube channel and you are not currently driving, I would encourage you to <laughs> go check it out because we do in fact have a TTS lobby open with a map that. Brad is going to use for example purposes. This is this is actually well. Why don't you tell us about this map first, and then we can have you walk through the process. So some of you might recognize some portions of this map. This is a revisit of a previous Invader League map that I made um, called Scarif Supply Depot. Um, so it's based on the wonderful beachy planet of Scarif, of course, and it's centered around this landing pad. Um, that they have in the middle there. The previous version um, has become a little outdated as the game has advanced um, in time with new units coming out and different features of gameplay becoming more powerful. So I went back and took a look and revisited it, um, tuned it up a little bit, applied some of the lessons I've learned since I first made it. And it is now actually going to be used in this upcoming season of the Invader League. So you're all getting a little bit of a sneak peek under the hood, seeing something that's coming up here. Um, again, this is not the final version of the map, so there will be some possible other iterations coming up due to balance testing that is currently ongoing. But please enjoy the sneak preview. So do you want to walk us through basically from start to finish, like you've got, you've got a blank table. What's, where do you start when you first start envisioning a map that you're going to create? And let's, let's talk about both on TTS, but also like for real life tables. So you've got a blank slate. Where do you go from there? Um, for both TTS and live, what I do is I think about what planet do I want to make a map on? That's the first question I ask. Um, whether it's Umbara, whether it's Mimban, if it's Scarif, because all of those have very different biomes and different requirements about what you're going to want to do with a map. So my first question is, you know, okay, you know what? I'm feeling inspired. I just watched Rogue One recently. Let's make a Scarif table. So already I'm thinking I'm probably going to want palm trees, maybe some tide pools. It's probably going to be based on sand. There's some imperial architecture in there that you can mess around with. Um, and then I literally just go to Google and just Google Scarif 
and look at what comes up. There's a lot of good fan art that people have done of different things. There's different shots from the movies. Um, I use video games as reference too, like specifically Battlefront, watching some gameplay of that, seeing how people move around, seeing how things look and scale um, to the actual like models of the players um, because that gives you a reference for you know what a stormtrooper might look like on that in that environment um, and what size things are in comparison to them um, and then you apply that to legion so that's the first step um, i know that beyond that um, one other consideration is also you need to look at what you can do um, if you have a you know a mud map from the fifth trooper for example that's probably not going to work super well for Coruscant or for um, Scarif even necessarily, but you're probably going to want to lean into something that can use that natural matte color to represent the planet. You know, you could do Mimban, you could do, um, you know, a subset of like Ryloth, you could probably pull off um, with there as well. Um, and maybe even, you know, a muddy part of Kashyyyk. You know, you can think of along those lines and come up with different ideas, but you got to start with what you have. And if um, you don't have it, you can always get another mat at the fifthtrooper.com slash shop. There you go. We need we need a company man drop there, Mike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can find something. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of something from office space, maybe. All right. Anyway, continue, Brad. Yeah, so that's the first step. Um, after that, you know, you start assembling for TTS. I start assembling different terrain pieces that I have that would, you know, fulfill that kind of environment. For Scarif here, it was, you know, I wanted some jungle patches. So I've got these long grass pieces and these palm trees that I can use together for that. You know, there's the Star Wars, there's the um, Imperial Bunker building piece that I grabbed. There's the Imperial comms tower building piece that I grabbed rocks. And then I went and Googled, um, a image of a kind of sandy beach themed like mat to use for the actual mat picture on TTS. Cause you can change that in the mod, uh, note for all map makers. You don't have to use exactly what's in the mod for you. There are some great, excellent high resolution options there, but you can also do some custom work on your own for those watching the landing pad on the table in front of you that you're seeing is something I also grabbed off of Google and used Photoshop to paste it in there and then took a couple burn and they kind of melded it in using like the darkening the sand around it. So it looks like it's a little dirtier or maybe there's some dirt that got mixed in. So it's not just sand, but that's a custom hack job that I did together. Um, you can't do that in person as well. Um, you can do like neat tricks, like, you know, super thin, um, you can use like a super thin mat on top of a mat if you wanted to get that kind of feel or something else laid out there. But that's a TTS thing for a real world table. I, if I don't have the pieces I already want, like if I don't have Imperial themed things or I don't have the ability to make palm trees, I go on YouTube and I watch tutorials on how to make them. Um, or I go and look at, you know, there's a number of different resources to get like STL files for 3D printing. Um, Cause I have a friend that can print those out for me. So I go and I look there. Um, and see if I can get some pieces, if there's anything free or if I want to purchase ones um, that fit in with the theme of what I'm doing. Um, So those are the two different next approaches there. And from there, I'm going to reference the article that I wrote for you guys specifically because going forward from that point, there's something I like to call the grid. And that basically is your roadmap for your entire map of what you're going to do. So I'm going to make that here really quick in TTS. Well, you guys, if you have any thoughts to add, um, then we'll go ahead and return to that next step. Is there like a way that you could do something? So clearly the grid is a great feature that's on TTS. If you're making a map on a real table, is there sort of some shortcuts you could use to get a, clearly you want to know like where the middle of the table is, but are there some other shortcuts you know, for marking positions and stuff you could use to kind of determine where terrain pieces are going to be relative to um, the various sections of the table. Another company yes. man, another company man, fifth trooper mats, center of the map. Well, yeah, so they are marked. There is, yeah. there's a sort of a hidden grid on fifth trooper mats, um, which is great. 
it's another reason you should get them. But if suppose you don't have a fifth trooper mat, what sort of other shortcuts could you use? Uh, you actually can use things that came in your Legion core sets. They're called range rulers and bases um, because the grid itself, all it is, is it is a idea. It's like it's a six by six grid on the table, which you can visualize using your range rulers, which are six inches long. And really what it is, is you're going to take a look at your major offensive deployment zone. And you're going to lay out where your intercept the transmissions objectives would be. And it is literally just a circle out from where those are. The grid is the major offensive deployment zones, the intercept the transmission circles, and a couple of lines, which I'm going to sketch on here, which if you have, like if you have the ability to visualize, I know I'm kind of gifted, I'm one of those people that can like look at a blank slate and kind of literally just picture things in my mind. I don't know if anyone here saw the, um, it was the Queen's Gambit. It's the name of the new chess series or whatever that popped up. Was that on Netflix, yeah. I believe? You pop yeah. a pill and you see the map, that's fine. Well, yeah, I did accept, you know, minus the pills because, you know, hey, we're not encouraging certain kind of use of uh, recreational activities here. Um, but I'm able to look at a blank slate and I can kind of visualize what's in my head on to the table in front of me, which helps me build this. Um, and then you just use the references. If you put like three minis where your objectives are and then you have a range ruler that goes out from it, there's your intercept circle. Um, if you're going to visualize that. So that's where you know where that's going to be. Um, you put your major offense, use your deployment markers to put out your major offensive um, deployment zones, which defines your primary corners of deployment. That's the main two corners that people are going to use um, when they play on a map. And then for, you know, if you want to measure, hey, is this six inches away from a deployment zone? You have your range rulers there. Um, to find the exact center of a map, if you have two to three core sets, you should have enough range rulers to measure exactly um, six lengths from one of the short edges and three lengths in um, from the middle. And that gives you your exact center point um, to go from, um, which everyone should know for recover the supplies and intercept and other things you've been playing in real life. And then the last important piece, which again, I visualize um, for the most part, but you can also kind of mark out if you have like a tape measure or a piece of string or something is you, I draw a line essentially going from six inches in from one corner. I have to scroll cause I was far too, too far zoomed in when I did this, but line going from six inches in from one of the primary play corners on the long edge to the opposite end and then a perpendicular line um, going from the other side of the long edge over. And voila, crossing through the middle. And if you can look on the video or in the article, you'll see a representation of that grid with the lines added. And that is your map building grid. So you have the grid and you have the geometry going on here, right? And you have your theme and you have everything going on that you wanna start here. Where do you start though now? Do you start towards board edge? Do you start towards the middle of the map? Do you start towards where the intercepts would go? Like what, like the first piece of terrain that you're looking at and you wanna put on the board, what goes through your mind? Cause that's, pro that's really the most important thing to me. Like I, I do the same, not the same thing. I don't go, you know, crazy with, the geometry that you do per se, right? But in my mind, I see the same things that you're seeing. It just, you know, after time, it comes kind of mm -hmm. automatic when you're building a map, right? Absolutely. Now, my, I haven't played on a physical table in a while, so it's a little bit different with um, vital assets. Maybe my map building would change and you can maybe attest to that, right? Is whenever I am looking at pieces of terrain, I will see a piece and be like, oh, that would be good for the middle. That'd be good for a side. And then I plop it down on the table and I start sliding it and looking around. Where do you start particularly? So with me as a map builder and um, everyone here can attest to this, I tend to really focus on aesthetics um, as like, that's kind of my niche that I go for. I think Kyle has said, even on this podcast before, every single one of my maps is beautiful. They don't always play super well all of the time. 
or at first at least until they get some testing, but they are always beautiful. So I, again, approach from that kind of theme perspective where when I look at all the, all the terrain I have assembled and I look at what I want to do, I split them up, you know, according to different kinds of terrain, you have your area terrain, you have your scatter terrain and you have your LOS blocking terrain. LOS blocking terrain is anything that is basically in my mind about a centimeter higher than a silhouette. You know, if you want to use that as a measurement, like about a centimeter, just that little bit to make sure that, you know, like something's not going to see just the top slit of an LOS or of the top slit of a silhouette, because that just makes for horrible rules arguments. And I digress, but something about that height, scatter terrain or your barricades, your boxes, stuff you just lay around to get, you know, your light cover or little bits of heavy cover and area terrain is terrain that you go inside of to get the benefit of, you know, it's those cylinders. You can look it up in the RRG. They describe what area terrain is. But on the map in front of you, it would be like the jungle sections would be L would be the area terrain scatters the barricades LOS blocking are the crates, the buildings, um, the hyperfuel tank and the rocks. So I lay all that out. And then I think in regards to the intercept circles, I want my map to tell a story. So I think, okay, I'm going to theme these somewhat differently. So each intercept circle should have kind of its own theme. Um, you see this on some of my other maps where I have um, Jetta City Center is a popular map of mine um, on TTS. Um, you know, and maybe they can in post like flash up an image of something or whatever, or you can go get a link or check something out um, to take a look at it. It's also on my Steam Workshop um, in one of the map packs and it's on the mod. But there's one side, one intercept circle is the center hill. Another one is there's kind of a market like square with a bunch of crates and then there's a crashed x-wing near the other one so there's a different theme to each one and i start breaking it out okay i want you know these pieces like you know maybe on this map it's okay i want one of my intercept circles to have a pond so i'm gonna put that piece over there okay what i need a couple rocks to go with that that's going to be more of a naturey side we're looking at the I don't know exactly what's, yeah, we're looking at the right side of the map with the red deployment zone now. So, okay, there's a tide pool there. Um, let's put some rocks, let's get some trees, let's get some barricades, because I'm gonna wanna use those for scatter terrain. And the hyperfuel tank actually came later um, when I realized I needed to plug a hole that wasn't there. Um, I looked at the other side and I'm like, okay, over here we can do, you know, this is the other side of the landing platform. Let's put the barracks down here and have some jungle nearby and some rocks. So it's a, it's different, but similar to the other side. And in the middle, that's the landing platform. So everything that's in the middle, there's not gonna be a lot of rocks, trees, anything like that. It's gonna be Imperial crates. It's gonna be Imperial buildings like the bunker, and it's gonna be area terrain like the crate pallets that you've seen in front of you there. So I split it up like that at first in real life as well. And the first pieces I place usually are the LOS blockers near the middle. So in this map, that would be the big hill on the screen in front of you. So it's a, it's a big hill that has a bunker inside of it for those that are just listening. And then there's two height one stacks of Imperial crates near the middle as well that act as major LOS blockers. And those are placed such that both corners both of the major defensive corners have access to an LOS blocker as they approach the middle. So you wanna place them between the intercept circles is where somewhere along the middle intercept circle touching the other two intercept circles. Those are the first two pieces I usually place when I wanna build a map because those are the most important pieces for gameplay and for making sure that you have a balanced map. So after you've done like your central line of sight blockers, what's your next step after that? After that, um, I tend to put down LOS pieces first, LOS blocking pieces first, because those you want to have an even distribution of across the map. Um, you also want to make sure that there's at least six inches between any of them, especially if they're tall enough to block movement from like, let's say a saber tank. Um, which is the lar it's the largest base in the game with the lowest height because the AAT can go over a lot of things, especially with its antennas. But you want to make sure the saber 
can play on a map. So you want to make sure that you kind of draw out routes that the Sabre can maneuver through. I usually like to include two to three different routes per deployment zone um, on the major offensive deployment zones about where they can go. Um, sometimes they can converge in the middle, but have a couple different routes for players and make sure your LOS blockers are placed at least six inches apart, dispersed through the map theme, you know, as you've themed them. So you have one side that's themed, another that's themed, and those are distributed. I personally recommend eight inches between LOS blockers if possible. Um, that can be adjusted later on, but that allows that, you know, you don't have to be exactly perfectly between two when you're trying to move a saber tank through because that base is literally about six inches wide. Um, so if it's just the minimum spacing, you're going to have trouble getting through there without your opponent saying, well, I don't know. And that's something that you want to avoid. That's kind of on you as a map maker to reduce the amount of kind of gotcha moments that you can before a game even is played on your table. How do you decide where to put those like non-central line of sight blockers? Is there a method other than just make sure that they're spaced appropriately? Yeah. Um, if we look at the lines that I drew, if you can go to a top-down view um, on the map here, you'll see the lines there at a cross from one corner and then the perpendiculars. You want to make sure that there's enough LOS blocking that a unit that's starting along one edge of one of those lines, as they move towards the middle, they should be able to bound back and forth between different pieces of LOS blocking terrain. Um, you know, that's really important for your Jedi. That's really important for um, units that don't wanna get shot by long range fire as they're approaching in. Um, so you wanna be able to ensure that they can get from a piece of cover with a single move or at least a double move, at the very least get between with a double move, like a double speed one move between different pieces of terrain. Um, and then I usually like to make sure that whatever I do on one side of one of those, um, one of those lines, whenever I place a piece of terrain on the other side, of the you know this line of symmetry across you want to have something roughly equivalent um, it doesn't need to be exactly the same because symmetrical maps get solved very easily by their players and are kind of boring to play on to be honest if you're making just exact mirrored moves but you want to have a rough equivalent similar but different um, on each one of those sides one of those examples here is let's say i've placed these two los blockers in the middle I'm like, okay, I'm gonna place my bunker hill over here because thematically I want it to be on the edge of the landing platform. Now I need something on this axis, this line here on the other side near that table edge. Okay, let's put a comms building there. And that's roughly equivalent where they're not the same, but you can get on top of, minis can get on top of both pieces minis can um you know they're relatively large los blocking pieces that are located near the far left edge of the major offensive deployment zone so they can start and cover behind it um, and it just gives different opportunities of movement and then i go okay now this area over here where i'm pinging on the screen which is to the right it's like where the buckle in the major offensive deployment zone is right where the dog leg shoots out i'm like okay that looks really open let me put a crate there and then I just mirror on the other side, roughly a crate over there as well, because between the comms building and the initial double stacked crates, there's a bit of an open area that I feel that needs to be filled. And you kind of piece out from there. Usually I start in the middle and piece out from there. You start placing your LOS blockers until you get to a point where you're starting to get towards the edges of the map. And very specifically on the edges of the map, that's when I like to build out the disarray deployment zone because you want to make sure now this map has an exception um, but you want to make sure for the most part you have at least one piece of los blocking terrain flush to the board edge on both long edges such that on disarray players are not going to be able to immediately snipe or use veer's maximum firepower or coordinated bombardment directly into the opponent's deployment zone with no chance of them getting any kind of cover and that's something I personally do, but I recommend for gameplay balance, you want to have at least one on each side. So they have minis have somewhere to hide. Usually I recommend a little closer to the middle in this particular case, I, where I place the comms building and the bunker hill, 
I didn't really leave myself space, but both of those bleed into those six inches of like the battle lines deployment zone on either edge. So that way you can at least deploy minis forward, like towards the six inches in, so that way they can't see each other across the long edges of the board. I know that's going to be a little hard to follow for those of you who are just listening. Um, it is described in the article that I wrote for the fifth trooper that is designing ter terrain layouts, I believe was the name of the article. Um, if you need a little clarification on that point, definitely read up in there. It is described and it is outlined um, with a couple real world examples from LPO. How do you account for, with your line of sight blockers, weird deployments like Danger Close and Hemmed In? Um, honestly, I look at those very late in the process. Danger Close, for the most part, you can use your disarray blockers to make sure that, you know, there's some cover in there or something to go behind. Danger Close is very hard or very weird to balance around because it's not very often played. Um, and it just completely flips the table edges. If you balance for disarray, you're probably balanced for danger close. Um, you may just want to look later and look at those specific areas where the deployment zones are closest on danger close. Make sure you have some scatter terrain or like some blast craters are in there, some way for them to get cover from each other because they start so close. But that's really what I look at at the end. Um, for hemmed in, you just want to make sure that one side, like if they were to start on one side with hemmed in, it's not going to be oppressively overpowered. <laughs> like if there's a big hill and they can deploy their entire army on top of a heavy cover hill in those first, those middle two um, boxes of a, uh, with no disadvantage on a hemmed in on one side, that's probably too strong and you need to make some adjustments. But I look at it on both sides and if you do the kind of LOS blocking layout that I recommended there, where I walked through where you're spacing it out, filling in gaps as you see them, for the most part, it's not going to create something too oppressive on hemmed in. Um, again, you do have to look later and make adjustments as needed because with those weird deployment zones, something's going to maybe slip by and you're just not going to notice it until later on. You know, the less time you have to make a map, the more risk you run of doing something a little imbalanced on those deployment zones. But that's also kind of legion, and that's also on players to choose a board edge um, that benefits them most, and for players to recognize that, you know, hey, Hemden's really strong for them. If it's not the third slot, if it's not in the third slot of deployments when we're setting up the table, I should probably veto that. So there's a built-in way to kind of help you as a player and give interesting choices to the player and that's as a map designer your main your main job is to create something that creates tactically interesting choices for a player as they're playing um and makes it so you know not everything's perfect and symmetrical and the same because you want the dip in legion we have the ability to choose player edge and you want that to be an important part of the decision making process when they walk up to a table so uh, in some other games like Warhammer, for example, it's very common to just stick like a giant line of sight blocker right in the middle of the table. Um, why don't you do that for Legion? Like what, what's, what, what unique considerations are there for Legion beyond just like trying to break up the sight lines? Objectives specifically. Um, the reason why there's a card, there's a couple cardinal sins in Legion map designing one of them is making the center of the map not at the same height as the primary play surface of a map now there's some caveats to that you need to know what the rules are before you break the rules one major rule with that is if you put a giant piece of los blocking terrain in the middle of the map what's going to happen on intercept the transmissions is it becomes a game of not can I shoot my opponent, but how many bodies can I cram behind this LOS blocker in the middle and your opponent does the same and whoever has more bodies wins the center point without them actually shooting at each other. It's just a dog pile. So that's not tactically interesting and you don't want that to happen. Additionally, recover the supplies is a problem because if the middle box is up on a height one tower in the middle of the map, one side has Boba Fett, the other doesn't, that could be a very lopsided game very quickly because the one, one um, army can't access the middle um, 
and they have there's other ways around it of course but if it's if the map is designed in such a way that boba fett can hop up there hop behind los blocking away and run away and the other two players the boxers the other the players other two boxes are safe that that game's going to be over on round three um or it's going to be an extremely difficult task for the other player to come and take over that and you want those kind of box grabs to be something that people can do you know there's the infiltrate box grab stuff like that but you want it to be tactically interesting where they have to run away from an army that can shoot them rather than just run behind a piece of terrain and vital assets also gave us one other objective which is why you don't want to put a big height one tower in the middle of the map which is hostage because those hostages need to be able to get off that height one tower <laughs> otherwise it's going to be a really weird game of hostage um some might say an actual interesting game of hostage. <laughs> well, Zach, come on, yeah. man. <laughs> Dude, hostage, <laughs> hostage is fun. Post standby sharing, come on. Yeah, yes. yeah. Post standby sharing, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Trust me, I was there. I was there for your problems with hostage. I understand. It is slightly better now, but I, I would still take the card. If honestly, <laughs> I should go get the card in my basement right now and burn it right live on this podcast because that's how I feel. But that's that's here nor there. Next week on Notorious Scoundrels, Zach burns hostage exchange. Pyromaniac at it again. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, objectives is the main reason you don't want to do like a big height one LOS blocker in the middle. Um, if we didn't have those kinds of objectives. It could actually be kind of interesting. Um, now, one thing I do want players to note is I said it needs to be on the same height as the primary play surface. Something I'm personally experimenting with and sometimes I've seen is what if the game mat itself is not the primary play surface or not the primary height? Like people use, you know, insulation foam and create hills and that kind of stuff on a map. You can have it where as long as it's on the same level as the majority of the board, you'll be fine. But you can have canyons that go around the middle. You can have bridges that go over said canyons. You can have, you know, big rocks near the middle. That's actually, you know, you want to have that for the LOS blocking purposes. But feel free to experiment with your terrain heights. Um, it's a little more flexible than it appears at the, at, you know, than it appears on the surface. In the tournament circuit specifically, you're not going to see a lot of that because those kinds of boards are really hard to transport from convention to convention. Um, and we do kind of have a rotating amount of boards that go to the major conventions because of how many players they're drawing these days and that kind of stuff. So you're going to see your traditional battle mats and stuff's going to be on the main floor for tournament play. But for your home tables and your local store, go crazy and experiment. I highly encourage it. I could also see something relatively simple that is like not tall enough to block a silhouette, but is still a little bit elevated above the mm -hmm. play surface. Like a, I don't know if alter is the wrong word, but something that has like steps on all sides and is maybe like in, you know, an inch or three quarters of an inch high. Yeah. Um, I think I actually did that on one of my previous maps or at least a previous iteration of a map. Um, I actually put a gazebo in the middle. I think it was a feed based map. Yeah, I remember that map. <laughs> yeah, that that was its own thing. Um, that, that thing went through a lot of iterations and some of the terrain wasn't super cooperative. Um, but if you put a gazebo in the middle, that's perfectly fine. If you put like an ancient temple circle in the middle, I've seen that too. That's also okay. Um, you know, if you have a raised landing platform in the middle, that's not super high, but just off ground level, like an inch high, that's also perfectly fine. So... How do you sort out like where to place and how much to place scatter terrain and area terrain? So area terrain is what I place after my LOS blockers. Um, normally what you roughly want to start with is a one kind of a, a rough one third of each piece of terrain. When you lay out your terrain for a map, it should cover about 30 to 40% of your board. Um, it we used to be like what 25 to 30 percent but with the way dice pools are these days you kind of want a little bit more terrain on a map um especially when it comes to scatter um just the ability to get cover is huge when it comes to gameplay these days um so i usually do a rough one third each you know one third los blocking one third area one third scatter um and i place my area terrain second 
Um, that can of course be adjusted, you know, based on theme. Coruscant's not going to have a lot of area terrain, um, where Kashyyyk is going to have a potential for a lot of area terrain. Um, so again, keep it rough, place those down, and then scatter goes wherever there's holes on the map. That's how I view scatters. It's a way to fill. It's like, hey, looking at this sight line, for example, on the map in front of us here, if we look at the sight line, I'm going to draw on the map using my red pen here, going between the comms building. Hold on. Going between the, that did not work out. going between the comms building and the other blockers in the middle. There's this big fire lane right here coming from the blue intercept the transmissions point. Um, if that scatter was not there, you look and you go, okay, that's a big long fire lane that people like long range units are going to love to shoot down. Let's place some barricades. Let's place some um, rocks. Let's place some crates such that there's cover that units want to bound between as they move up. Um, there's a concept that I learned when I was a cadet that is a uh, bounding overwatch in the military where you have one unit lays down suppressive fire and the other one moves up to a piece of cover. And then the, the, then the other group shoots and then the other unit moves up. That doesn't exactly happen in Legion because it's a different kind of game where you only get, you know, two actions per turn in each mini, but for the most part, you still want to be able to have units bounding from cover to cover. And the scatter terrain, I like to place it typically between range two and range three from each other, somewhere in there, on somewhere under range three to encourage fighting because the scatter terrain is going to be what's used most. You know, if you have a piece of area terrain like this jungle over here by the hyperfuel tank that I'm circling on screen now, I'm like, okay. How far is it to this barricade? That's 11.5 inches from the edge of the jungle and the blast crater over to the barricade. So range two units, if you have a unit leader where I'm about to drop a teal mark on the map, if the unit leader there and his rest of his unit is in the area terrain and you have a unit leader in front of the barricade in the middle of the map and the rest of his units behind the barricade, at range two, they're going to be able to shoot each other. Now, if you look at that same position with this barricade, it's about, about nine inches away from these crates. So that's again within range two. So you can have that same kind of fight here. That same kind of line exists here to the barricades that are to the, um, to the right of that, looking from the blue table edge. And then that same kind of, it's even shorter, but going to the area terrain there. So you create these kind of different bounding points that infantry can move between on the map and be able to fight each other between. And it creates movement on the map. So scatter terrain, after you place your area terrain, after you place your LSI, you want to find those holes that are somewhere between six and 18 inches and start filling it in with about somewhere between like some distance between, you know, six and 18 between the different groups to encourage fighting. So you have your types of terrain and I know that we're living somewhat in a digital world right now with Legion, but you're at your local store and you go to grab some area terrain and your local store doesn't have a good selection. What do you do? Um, most with most local stores, um, especially with like the 40 K themes and stuff there, if you're able to scavenge from 40 K terrain, um, usually there's a lot of blast craters lying around. Um, uh, that's your easiest bread and butter for area terrain, put some scat blast craters around light cover area terrain for troopers that are inside of it. Um, if you don't have like forests or you don't have other pieces of area terrain that you can do supplement with additional LOS blocking and additional scatter. Um, to cover the difference um, because the LOS blocking, the purpose of area terrain is to provide cover in an area for anything that's behind it. So it acts like LOS cover that you can shoot through essentially, which is a weird concept when I said it out loud, but it made more sense in my head. Um, it's a general area of cover that says, if you're here, you get this cover. Or if you're behind this, you get this cover. If you put an LOS blocker instead, what happens is then it says anything behind this 
gets this cover. So you remove the I'm in this zone, but you still maintain the kind of blocking terrain that you want. You just need to find some LOS blocking terrain or some scatter terrain that can create that kind of light cover feel if you're going to supplement with light cover. Additionally, it's okay if all you have is stuff that's heavy cover on a map. It's not ideal, but suppression exists in the game. So units that get shot at once are going to be able to then have light cover for any preceding shots on, onto them after that. So you, it's okay to have mostly heavy cover. I wouldn't try to go above two thirds heavy cover if possible, um, but you can lean on that if your resources are limited. I mean, Kyle hasn't felt the effects of a suppression token in about eight months, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I play Rebels sometimes. Yeah. I have not, I have not played droids recently. So. Something to keep in mind, of course, is how different factions interact with that. So if you're droids, that you want light cover on the map for the droids players. They're going to love you for actually being able to get too light and heavy cover, especially with the scatter, um, because they don't improve their cover natively. But that's also a disadvantage of playing the faction. So droids players, if your store is limited, maybe look at making some area terrain for your store. And that would be a great gift or something to bring along to your local tournaments. I love how Kyle's like, man, I haven't been playing droids, so suppression doesn't matter. And like the lists I've been seeing him play lately, even though they're not droids, also don't care about suppression. So, <laughs> so, so like, are we talking about the, let him, the ridiculous yeah. double T forty seven triple flame RT uh, situation uh, that I've been? Yeah, you know, you know, when you put it in perspective like that, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, suppress my fleet troopers. All right, that's fine. <laughs> I got three flame RTs and two T forty sevens. Yeah, no, it's um, so one of the just talking about area terrain. One of the things that I think is so important about area terrain, and it, it's also, you know, area terrain. I think is the of the three main terrain types, right? Line of sight blocking, scatter, and area. It seems to be the one that's most neglected of those three. There's a couple of reasons for that. You touched on a couple. Um, Legion leans heavily, kind of, into the three D printing market. Mm -hmm. Area terrain's pretty difficult to 3D print except for blast craters. You know, you can't 3D print a forest. You got to make a forest or get like, you know, cut out some felt and then buy some some of those little trees that you can buy from hobby stores or online. It's a little bit more difficult to make, but you know, it's important in that you can't flank area terrain. Like it's it's not just a different different kind of it's not just differently shaped scatter. There are unique properties of area terrain that make it different, uniquely different from scatter. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's I think it's super important. Even if you got to just cut out some felt and throw some trees from the hobby store from the model railroad section on top of it, I think it's important to have on your tables. Absolutely, and talking about theme as well, certain biomes don't have trees. So something that people don't realize you can do that is entirely okay is you can have light cover area terrain that's made out of rocks or debris or twisted metal on like a Raxus prime board or something like that. Like use your imagination. When you build a table, sometimes you need to put a note card or a reference card next that says this is this, or the players will agree on their own what cover the terrain provides on the table, because that's an essential step of walking up to a table in real life is you need to talk to your opponent and agree on what kind of, what kind of terrain provides what kind of cover. All right, Brad, so not to go on a tangent here, but we dealt with it last season. We're probably gonna deal with it this season. And you alluded to it about it being in person thing, but talk about terrain on tabletop simulator. Uh, we got questions about it last season. I know there's notes on every piece of terrain. I don't care if you ignore those notes. I don't care what you do. Talk about it with your opponent because there is no, all right. In Legion, there can be a lot of awkward moments with an opponent, especially one that you don't know on a personal level, but arguably the most awkward moment is when you go to play on a piece of terrain that you did not discuss because now you're talking about a piece of terrain that could either benefit you, it could benefit your opponent, and you're in this impasse where you need to figure out an answer. But you really can't come to a conclusion because the answer is different for both players. Now, of course, in a tournament, there's judges. They can come over. They can help you out. 
obviously if it's like your local game night and you're at your store, I hope you're not coming to an argument over terrain because if you are at your local game night on a random Tuesday, well, that's another discussion. Okay. Needless to say, end of the story is talk about the terrain. I don't care if there's a note card. I don't care if there's, you know, um, on TTS, what do they call it, Brad? They're, tool tips. They're tool tips. I don't care what the heck any of them say. You discuss it all with your opponent pregame. Doesn't matter what piece of terrain it is. Just discuss it, please. That's an um, interesting take because I actually I I am firmly in in not camp, not discuss it, but I am firmly in. It's on the tos to define the terrain. Um, it, it, I, I know. Hold up. Hear me out here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I, I know that this is controversial. However, my experience personally has been that when conflicts like that come up and they are not reasonably resolved between the players, it is like talking beforehand isn't helpful. Because one of them is generally trying to abuse what is going on. And, and so... I think I think what you're saying is right, but I don't think it solves the problem that you're talking about. I think those are two separate issues. Well, that's the thing, right? And, and again, this is a tangent. I agree with you, like pretty much on all of that. The issue is, is that let's say I'm the TO of the tournament, and right, this in theory, which I was in Invader League, right, last season, there's still pieces of terrain that are described differently, and you still need to discuss those things, right? So the onus is now on the TO to kind of like in a vacuum, make these tables perfectly understood. And that's not simple, especially at majors where, where the tables are being put together hours before the tournament starts. And, you know, on tabletop simulator simulator, where you're using tool tips that sometimes, you know, you forget you didn't change or they come naturally with a piece of terrain. So you can't really change it anyways. I'm sure you can change any tool tip you want. The point is it can be, it, could be overlooked and totally it's not a perfect system if the system was perfect i agree with what you said because it definitely eliminates the middle ground where you have this piece of terrain that i might think is heavy but you might think it's light you're playing rebels but i'm playing imperials and and you know for my red save dice and your white save dice this piece of terrain could actually define the table yeah and so it it, it shouldn't come down to that and and i think that if you do discuss it i think that you should take it a step further and write it down and put it in a place that is visible to everyone. My issue with it is not so much like, like even people are trying to be malicious, but a game is two and a half to three hours long. Like if you discuss something at the beginning, you know, and it doesn't come up until like halfway through, you could just remember, especially if this is like the fourth game in the day and there was like a similar portrayed piece on a different table or whatever. Um, I don't know. I just like, I don't like relying on the like he said she said of of the discussion. So I think what you're saying is good. Just like write like write it down. Like I I strongly believe that, you know, every piece of terrain in tabletop simulator should have a note on it and every table in real life should have like a note card describing the terrain. Like in yeah. a perfect world. Clearly that's no, no. not always like applicable, but um i mean to be fair what we're discussing not really knowing that we're discussing it is, and it's, it's a whole nother discussion on itself is the unwritten contract between players right like it, ter- the terrain part of it falls into that unwritten contract thing where you want to respect the other player that you're playing and it it's it's a completely there's two there's two different folds to the conversation is really what i'm getting at and while I'm saying one thing, you're saying you're saying another thing. They both kind of meet in the middle and both make a ton of sense. Yeah, I think there's definitely a middle ground there. You know, it, essentially what you're saying, Mike, is discussing the terrain beforehand does not eliminate the possibility that a player in the middle of the game is going to try and reinterpret or freshly interpret the terrain rules to their advantage. Yeah, I mean, um, like, it, it's certainly helpful to talk about it in advance. I yeah. just, uh, to me, in all of the situations that that, that, that like, has come up, we've t- either talked about the terrain ahead of time and missed something, which happens all the time, or, or like, we talked about the terrain ahead of time and somebody, like, misremembered the conversation. And, and once you get to the point that someone misremembers it, like, 
doesn't matter who misremembered it, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and I was gonna say, simple solution, of course, is just roll crits too, right? Yeah, right. Just roll crits. Hashtag just roll crits. No, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think you should definitely still talk about the terrain beforehand. But I also don't think you should assume that that's going to completely eliminate any possible terrain disagreements that are going to occur over the course of the match. I definitely wouldn't just like not talk about it. And I do think that, uh, you know, note cards or tooltips or what, all of those things are extremely helpful. I think the more that you can do to mutually understand the terrain with your opponent before the match, the better. You know, there are even simple things, like especially if you're going to a store and playing with some random person you've never met before, they might have a different... There are certain conventions with terrain that are sort of generally accepted within the competitive community that are not necessarily shared in every in all circles. For example, if you're a small base trooper mini and you're moving over a piece of terrain, as long as that piece of terrain is less than a silhouette height, you can do it, which is in the rules, right? But generally speaking, it's convention to also like take a slowed move speed when you do that, right? You, if you're a speed two trooper and you're moving over a barricade or a box or something like that, it's essentially a convention that you slow from speed two to speed one. But nowhere in the rules does it actually say that you do that. It says that you should define difficult terrain before the battle, right? So while it's convention that a box is difficult terrain in the same way that a barricade is if you move over it, that's not defined explicitly anywhere in the rules and it's possible that the person that you're playing with in their own local group that you haven't played before does it differently. So, you know, there are things like that that are still worth clearing up. And this is, I, I know this is a huge tangent, Brad, from discussing map making, but... Uh, well, it's important. It's because, like, what you just described, Kyle, actually happened at LVO. There was, like, a little wall, and they asked for a judge call, whether it was difficult or not. And I ruled it as a difficult terrain move, right? And it's a speed one. But then I had to, to then describe it a little bit further because one person didn't understand why I was ruling it that way. And that's important to discuss beforehand, depending, no, no matter who your opponent is. Yeah, um, as, as a map builder, as a player, and as a judge, please discuss terrain with your opponent. Um, I will do as a map builder in real life or on TTS, I do everything in my power to make sure the intent of the terrain is understood through the tooltip or through a note card that I leave by a table or something like that. A lot of, a lot of real life tournaments that are at like the larger events do have terrain reference cards um, for the different maps. So I will do everything in my power to make sure that the intent is understood. Now that's the key there. The it's the intent. Tooltips on TTS. There's a there's a specific GIF of Barbosa from the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie that I love to reference when it comes to the tooltips on TTS. They are guidelines. They are not hard, strict rules. You do need to discuss the terrain with your opponent. And sometimes it's, hey, do you want to rule this as this tooltip says? Yeah, sure. Cool. Boom, you're done. It gives a reference for the intent of how the terrain is supposed to work. It gives a reference for a judge to use. And if you do get in a terrain disagreement, there is at least a built-in failsafe, which is rolling a die, which is unfortunate. But if no agreement can be made, you can at least get to that. So, because honestly, as a judge, if there's a disagreement over terrain and it's not clearly defined by a terrain card or a tooltip, and both players are saying different things, my call is to roll a die. Because it's not necessary, unless there's something specifically clearly defined that I can reference as a judge, in the rules or on a terrain tooltip, I can't really necessarily make that call, and I don't know what they said at the beginning of a match either. Um, but it is very important, and all of you who are making maps, please make reference cards for your terrain to describe your intent, because what's in here is not going to be the same in the players who are on the map. So you want to try to describe that to them as possible so you can give them the experience that you intended them to have. Like boxes stacked next to a uh, line of side blocker. Yes, which I believe that one is actually that's that's in the rules. So that's in the RRG. But 
I think they got added afterwards. I think there were some people that would debate that with you, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not one of those people as the person that famously did it on stream. Oh. Vader, so yes. Um, yeah. Leave it to you, Kyle. Leave it to yeah. You. Right. Um, all right. Well, do you have any, so this is, as you mentioned, this is a, one of the, one of the invader maps for round Robin. Is that accurate? Uh, it's either round robin or single elimination. Okay. The, the exact determination TBD. has not been made at this time, but okay. it will be showing up. Got it. Cool. Well, do you have any final thoughts for us on putting a map together? Yeah. Um, one that I probably should have mentioned near the beginning, but design on an angle, take your map, rotate it 30 degrees. Everyone will thank you later for it. Um, maps like take terrain that's specifically set up to be exactly parallel to the board edges um, is actually kind of problematic on certain deployments like for example long march or something like that the main axis of play is from corner to corner like major offensive corner to major offensive corner that's where the majority of play is going to happen on a legion table and if you set up your terrain at an angle that goes along with that, your players are going to interact with it a little better. And it's when it's on an angle, it's going to balance for those uh, those specific um, types of play that aren't on that main axis of play. Battle lines and long march and rollout. Those specific deployments are going to be along the main parallels of the board edges. And so if you have your train at an angle, you're actually going to provide more cover in those circumstances than you would um, if you're going to, if you have it parallel with the board edges, because I've seen, especially early on in Legion, there were some tables where you design it all perfectly and everything's par- all the buildings are parallel to the board edges. And then you look at it on long March and you're like, this table sucks. <laughs> There's no cover anywhere um, except for the little bits that you get. So design on an angle, just again, a 30 degree tilt, that line, that long line on the grid. If you want to again, reference it in the article or on the screen in front of you, that's kind of how you want to tilt your terrain and then feel free to screw around with it after you place it to get exactly right. Once you're done. Um, it also just looks better. It, people walk up to a table, they won't be able to solve it as easily. Um, which brings me to my other point I wanted to make, you know, as a map maker, especially for TTS, this is important for me because literally sometimes hundreds of games get played on my maps. You want to make it so it's not solvable. And what I mean by that is that a player doesn't walk up to a table and immediately go, this is the better board edge on every single objective and I'm taking this and this is mine. They wanna look at it and be like, well, okay, this is good for major offensive, but on battle lines, I'm weaker over here and their disarray corners are better. So wait, do I take this edge or that edge? You want them to think when they walk up to a table, you want them to, especially on a tournament, because they can't spend all day analyzing to find the, per- the perfect side. They have to look at it, make a quick analysis, and then pick one. Um, and that's done through if you want to balance, like if you bring a tournament table to a tournament, I also recommend play test it at home. You know, get a general layout of what you want to do with a map. Play test it with your friends at home or at your local store if you want to bring it to a tournament so you can refine it through different iterations and then you have a general idea or even a printout or a picture of what it's supposed to look like so when it goes to a tournament they have the exact layout there and they can set it up and you know it's going to be a good experience for your players so three final thoughts there mike zach any parting uh controversial topics I'm 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 just gonna get into it with Zach about this the whole talking about terrain before the game thing after after we sign off. You know, we're just gonna go at it. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You know what? You know, like here's here's my final thought. It's almost as if Dad invited Brad on this week so he could avoid talking about the things we talked about last week without him, right? Like we haven't even talked to Dad tonight. Like it's it's been Brad and Dad, and we've been chiming in a little bit. And Dad's avoided us this week, and uh, rightfully so. I think he's I think he's afraid to, to come at us after those hot takes there, Mike. That's my final thought. Did someone say hot takes? Yo, Brad, you're here this week. You want to lay a hot take on us? Give us a hot take that Tim Hannon will at me in Discord about. Do it. I mean, I can give my famous hot take. Vader's not slow.
okay. <laughs> I mean, I play a lot of Vader. I don't know how I feel about that comment. He's I know. He's pretty slow. Yes, but you can still you can still get it is very possible to get on long march from your deployment zone to on turn five take their rear intercept zone with Vader solo. He's fast enough to do that. And I'm not talking operative Vader, I'm talking commander Vader. I will it's something I've personally done. And two speed one moves is a speed three unhindered move. He is slower. But he is not as slow as people think he is. So, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, I will agree with your assessment that he can take the back intercept point on Long March. No questions asked. I've actually, I'm pretty sure, done that before too. Uh, I think Kyle has seen me try to do that on a couple of occasions. Um, my issue try, with... Try, keyword. Try, yeah. Um, Luke makes it problematic. Is that... Commander's Commander Vader's speed is not a he can't get places issue. It's a it's a flexibility issue. We, you very much once you decide he's going someplace, like that's where he's going. And if you made the wrong choice, you're really screwed. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I would literally give my liver an arm and a leg to give Vader speed to and jump one million percent. But do not underestimate him, people. If you're like, oh, he's just going to get to the middle, and you will probably lose. I mean, they, they have that version for you. It's called Anakin. <laughs> so I'm just going to cry inside now. Brad, how do you feel about Anakin Skywalker? I just We're trying to get as many people's input as possible, you know. I don't know. I haven't got enough time with him personally, and there's a lot. With Anakin Skywalker, it comes down to you need to play his cards in a specific order sometime, in like the correct order for the game. You need to make sure that you have him positioned properly to take advantage of Exemplar. I think Exemplar is his best feature. And I think you should be maximizing that as much as possible when you put him in a list. There needs to be a reason you take him over Obi-Wan, and Exemplar is that reason. Um, he can do things no other Force user can with Exemplar. But, like you know what I'm hearing? You know what I'm hearing? He's he's just afraid to say he's bad. He's afraid. I would <laughs> not necessarily take him to worlds. Is he's what afraid, I would he's say. He's afraid to say it. Oh boy! I mean, I I agree with you, Brad. I I think that exemplar is his best keyword, and if you're if you're taking an Anakin list, you gotta you gotta build around that specifically. But I'm not sure what that says about a 160 point <laughs> unit. If the best thing they could be doing is sharing their own. Tokens. Honestly, though, I've I've seen him do some really dirty stuff. Um, I don't. <sighs> I think he falls into the same category as the Vaders in some regards, where again, it's you're gonna you're taking this expensive unit that if you roll poorly on, you, you, if your list is built around, it's gonna fall apart. Um, where some other force users, you know, the Lukes and the Mauls and the Dukus of the world have a lot going for them that allow them to really just be good, flexible support pieces and act as linebackers or deep strikers and do a bunch of crazy stuff. He's not on that level necessarily, but I don't want to count him out yet. I want to revisit Anakin in about three months and see what the people who have dedicated the time to him have come up with. Because I think you're going to be able to, you're going to see probably some tournament results with Anakin that are pretty impressive, but he's a piece that you really are going to have to devote time to in order to understand how to play, which is something that I personally did with Vader and how I was able to do as well as I was with Vader for as long as I played him. You know, Brad, that just made me think of something. We should put stress balls in the uh, Fifth Trooper store for the folks that want to play Anakin because <laughs> I have a feeling that playtesting Anakin like that is going to be a stressful, stressful event. And you may need to take it out on something, and why not a nice Fifth Trooper stress ball? Should you, should should you put a picture of a youngling on the, on the stress ball? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch that to Jay after we get off this I was like, Jay, we need, we need youngling stress balls for all the Anakin players. Uh, and, I'll take uh, one too as a Vader player. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, it's basically, you know, same person. Yeah. Same person, similar feelings in Legion. It's, you are 
with it. Excuse me. If you screw up with it, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna have a really bad time. It's okay. So. I, can, I can edit that out. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, we we got beep boop noises for that. Nah, we really need to not do beep boop. We need to get the uh, the, the um the quote from the kid that Anakin <laughs> talks to at the Jedi Temple and slice <laughs> that in there. <laughs> Uh, all right well uh this was map making uh, and things we are the notorious scoundrels i'm kyle i'm mike i'm zach and i'm brad brad of course from team relentless and uh the lead legion map guy and we look forward to seeing the rest of the invader league maps and uh, thanks, guys. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs> <laughs>